This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Today's scripture is Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which can be found on page 528 in the Pew Bibles around you. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Hey, good morning. Good to be with you all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. God, this morning I ask that you would speak to us. Would you grant to us by your spirit this morning revelation in the knowledge of who you are? God, I ask this morning that you would align our hearts with your truth, with your word, with your glory. Would you give us yourself? Let us see you. Let us know you. Let us comprehend the magnitude of your goodness, your grace, your love. God, would you show us yourself? God, I ask this morning that you would Make us a people who are passionate to know you, who are sold out to know you, who are willing to sell everything to pursue you, to seek after you, to seek your face, to know you. God, I ask for grace this morning upon the speaking of your word, upon the hearing of your word, Would you come and do what we cannot do in our own strength? Would you bring our hearts into alignment with your truth? And would you do that by your grace and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple things I want to get out of the way before we start. Number one, if you're a little intimidated by the fact that I gave you six pages instead of three and you're going, man, this guy talks for a long time when he gives us three. What in the world is today going to be like? Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't want you to feel anxiety there. I'm giving you a lot more than I plan to walk through. Um, my hope this morning is to, again, uh, look over some of what we see in Proverbs chapter 2. And the second thing is, uh, just how does this week relate to last week? So what we did last week was looked at Proverbs 2, and I spent the majority of our time together looking at the need that we have uh, to pursue wisdom and the knowledge of God. I I attempted to lay a framework for a need in our particular moment of history for us as a people, for us as a church to pursue the knowledge of God, to lay hold of the things of who God is and what he calls wise 
eyes and to order our lives around those things in such a way that we would lay hold of them as a people. And my heart is that as we take some time leading up to where we're going to be for the rest of the fall, Lord willing, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, Matthew 5 to 7, as Jesus lays out this portrait of what it means to pursue a life ordered around his kingdom and his ways. My desire is to uh, uh, prime the pump in some ways, to awaken our imagination and stir our affections and our hearts to be the kind of people who live in this world oriented and fixed on seeking to know God. And so I, I spent the majority of the time laying out that need last week, and then I just breezed over uh, the four uh, invitations of Proverbs chapter two. And my desire this morning in some ways to build on that foundation, spend a little less time talking about the need for that and to really drill into those four invitations and what those would look like in our lives as we invite, uh, as we hear the invitation of the Lord to pursue these things together. So that's my hope for us this morning. So like I said, the primary need that I think we have for our church and for the church in the Western world in this moment is to lay hold of or to pursue or to be filled with the knowledge of God above all things. I want to I wanna just make it really clear for us. Um, I've been really stirred lately thinking about our church, thinking about where we're at in the life of our church, thinking about some of the things that we've walked through over the last season together and where we find ourselves and what's on the next horizon. And I've been really convicted and really stirred up to set out for us a vision that the main metric for success that we would have as a people would be that we know God that we would be a people that know God, that we wouldn't look to any other kind of value or any other kind of metric to say, how are we doing, right? We're not looking at numbers. We're not looking at how hype things are. We're not looking at how uh, smoothly things are running or how well our uh, certain programs and ministries are doing. We're asking the question, how are we as God's people seeking to pursue the knowledge of God and wisdom in our world? And that, that would be the only thing that we lay in front of us as how we measure our success as God's people. That's my desire, right? We find ourselves in a moment where I think we need that in really profound ways. And what I want to do this morning is spend all of our time in Proverbs 2 looking at these invitations. So look with me at Roman numeral, chapter, or Roman numeral 2. I'm going to read through this again. And then we're going to look at the pathway to the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So in Proverbs 2, as we heard read, the, the writer invites us, my son, if you receive my words, I want you to take, uh, if you have your Bible out or on the notes, just circle the word if. It is actually really important. There is a condition here that is being put in front of us. The, the writer says, if you do these things, then something will happen, right? If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and uh, uh, inclining your heart to understanding, not inkling, 
Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Right? So what we find here in Proverbs 2, if we're asking the question, we, we desire to be a people who pursue the knowledge of God and orient our lives around what he defines as wise and good and right, we should all then ask the question, how do we do that? Right? If the most important thing that we can give our lives to is to pursue the depths of the knowledge of God and to pursue the fear of the Lord, that our lives would be oriented around the things that he calls good and right and lasting and pure, we should ask the question, how do we do that? And Proverbs 2 puts in front of us a roadmap or an outline of what it looks like to pursue the knowledge of God. God promises to grant the fear of the Lord, and a greater knowledge of him to any who pursue these things. Now, I want to just remind us, we must understand that growing in the knowledge of God is not a guarantee. Okay, that might strike you as difficult. It might strike you as off-putting. What we have to understand as the people of God is the relationship that we see throughout the scriptures of the unmerited grace of God given freely in salvation through Jesus Christ alone, on his merits alone, the mercy of God that washes over our sins and invites us into his presence. We cannot earn that. We cannot merit it. We cannot Uh, drum that up in ourselves. We can't make ourselves clean enough or glorious enough or righteous enough to stand in his presence. He has to give us that as a gift freely given by his grace. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been granted that grace and been welcomed into the presence of God by no merit of your own. You brought nothing to the table, right? And what we see throughout the scriptures is that God invites those that he has brought into relationship with him to pursue him or to participate in that grace by seeking things, right? So we actually have real uh, invitations that God gives to us, that he invites us to grow in knowing him, in pursuing wisdom. And that is not a, a guarantee over us, right? We have to seek to participate in the means that God has given us by his grace to grow in those things. We glory in the truth that our salvation is not conditional, meaning we did not, there's no condition that you brought to the table outside of responding to God in faith that you had nothing to bring. We've received his unmerited grace in Christ Jesus by faith in him alone, apart from any work or righteousness in ourselves. And the New Testament always portrays that the outworking of our salvation has real effects on our behaviors, on our thoughts, on our choices, and our pursuits. I want to make sure that we hold on to those things together. And if you're confused as to how they work together, welcome. Welcome. I've been trying to make sense of some of these paradoxes for my children, and I've, I've tried to use this analogy. I hope it lands for you, right? If you were 
two-dimensional. I don't know if you guys know the like Flat Stanley uh, books or whatever, but I've got kids, right? So Flat Stanley. If you are two-dimensional and someone takes that is outside of those dimensions, takes their hand and sticks them through the paper, you experience them as two uh, flat realities that are unrelated because you can't see how they're connected, right? So how are they connected? They are. So the word of God puts in front of us this reality that you have been given the, the unmerited grace of God given to you by no work that you brought to the table. You cannot earn it. You cannot merit it. You receive it freely by his grace. And as his power works in you, it expresses itself in real choices, real behaviors, real desires that you pursue him, right? Both of those things are true. We may not fully understand how they connect until we see him face to face. We just have to, by faith, believe that his word is good and right. So... We see this laid out, growing in the grace of God in Jesus Christ in our experience, or growing in the knowledge of God, walking in maturity, seeing victory over sin, and experiencing the fear of the Lord are participatory in nature, we see, right? We see that God puts means in front of us and invites us to pursue those means in order to walk in more knowing of him, more wisdom. So let's look at these four invitations that he gives us. Roman numeral three, the first, treasure God's word. So if we seek to grow in the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord, the author of Proverbs actually lays out ways for us to pursue this. The first exhortation of Proverbs two is this call to receive the words of God and treasure them up within us. This speaks of possessing an active pursuit of filling our minds and hearts with God's word in a consistent and intentional way. So the starting place, if we're asking the question, how do I grow in the knowledge of God? How do I grow in the fear of the Lord? The first set of invitations are receive his words, treasure them up inside of you. Take the things that he has given you by revelation that he has spoken and set yourself to receive them. Set yourself to treasure them up inside of you. Now, one of the things that I want to make clear again and again as we walk through this, as these are not just aspirations in the sense of like a mindset or a theory that we hold on to, like I want to receive God's words or I want to treasure up his commands. These have real practical outworking in the way that we order our lives, right? To receive the words of God means that you take time with them. To treasure them up means that you spend time chewing on them and holding them inside of you and asking him to make them alive to you and make you conformed to them, 
right? It's, it's actual time on the calendar. It's not just ethereal. It's not just an idea. There's real practices and real behaviors that we pursue in a consistent and an intentional way. Letter B, we have to seek to grow in our love for God's word by regularly feasting upon it. God's word is alive and it is active. And over time, the Lord will use his word to change and transform our hearts. It's only through the word of God that we can know God, right? There's, there's no other way. There is no other way to know God outside of his word. This is how he has spoken to us. This is how he has revealed himself. This is the full and final word of what he desires to show you about his character, nature, his purposes, his plans. And there is no way to know him outside of this. There is no way. So we have to receive his words and treasure them up inside of us. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I want to give us just some ideas of if you're grappling with ways to start this, where do you start? Where do you start? We pursue growth in God's word first by filling our minds with it. We do this by actively reading God's word in a consistent and intentional way over time. This could be done in larger chunks, right? So you can go and find a Bible reading plan just about anywhere. You can download Bible apps on your phone and they've got them right there with wonderful check boxes that you can go through and see your progress and do all that kind of stuff. If you're really into lists and checking off boxes and accomplishing things like that, they make things that will actually utilize that desire and you'll feel really good about yourself after you do it, right? You go through and I did it. Take time and have a plan of how you are going to read through the Bible, how you are going to engage reading the Bible and getting it into your mind, into your life, right? Don't just haphazardly show up on a day and have like so-called like Bible roulette, right? Like you're just flipping over and going, okay, maybe, maybe the Psalms this morning. And then you read a little bit and you're like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Maybe the gospels, like the words of Jesus are really good. I'll flip over here. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll do the trick this morning. And you read a little bit and you're like, eh, you know, it's, I'm not Romans. I know Romans will get me. Romans gets me every time, right? You flip over. Don't, don't come to it that way, right? Take an intentional, purposeful plan and fill your mind with the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Get it in you. Engage it. Read it. Do this in larger ways. You can do that, again, in larger chunks, or you could do it more slowly. Have a plan to read maybe a few psalms every day or a proverb every day. Right? There's, there's ways that you can orient your time and your plan to fill your mind with God's word. That's the first way that we grow in God's word. The second way is we grow in understanding of God's word through study, right? So there's actual real ways that we have to grapple with what is God's word saying, right? How many of you 
have read through your Bible reading plan and you get to you know, Leviticus or you get to one of the prophets and you go, I have no idea what this is saying. Right? We've all been there. There are real tools that we need to take in to learn to understand what God's word is saying. Right? It was written thousands of years ago to people that were in a different cultural context than us. And we need to do some work at times to get into what is the word of God saying. And there's all sorts of resources. If you need some as you're reading through the Bible or you're reading through a book, hit up one of your pastors. We would love to share with you tools and resources to help you engage with what does God's word say here? What does God's word mean here? Right? So we fill our minds with it. We just familiarize ourselves with it. We're in it. We're reading it. We're, we're filling our minds and hearts with it, and we seek to understand it. The third way that we do this, that we pursue growth in God's word, is through meditation. Now, to truly treasure God's commands in us, we have to learn how to meditate on his word. Now, that word may be a little off-putting for you, right? Meditation in the biblical sense is not a practice where you sit and try to cleanse your mind or empty your mind of things to get into some sort of peaceful state. That's not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation has to do with chewing on the word, right? It's taking the word and putting it into your mind and using the faculties that God has given you to think on it and to turn it over and in prayer to say it back to him and to uh, grapple over it again and again. It's like, it's like a cow chewing the cud over and over and over and over again. That's what biblical meditation is. It's actually using your mind that God has given you to think on the word and to pray the word and to, uh, to uh, get it into your life through slow, uh, thoughtful reflection upon it. So how do we do this? Uh, I've given some of these before, but these are just some helpful, practical tools as you go through the word, right? How do you meditate on God's word? First, you thank him for the truth that you've read, right? As you're going through the Bible and you see a truth that is, uh, God is this way, just thank him for it. God, thank you that you're my shepherd. Thank you that you are a good shepherd. Thank you that you lead perfectly, that there is nothing outside of the way that you see, and there is no lack in how wise you are, right? You can, you can pray that to him in a spirit of gratitude. The second thing you do is you ask him for more revelation. So as you thank him, you ask him to make you see that as true, right? Because it takes the spirit of God for that truth to become alive to you. You can't make yourself uh, know God. It takes his spirit, right? So we ask him, would you reveal this to me? And then the last thing we do is we set our hearts to obey him as we walk through the word. So these are ways that you can put that into practice. Look at Roman numeral number four. So the second invitation that we see here is a humble spirit of obedience. 
right? So the first thing he invites us to do is receive, your, receive his words, take them, fill your mind with them, meditate upon them, pray them, let them saturate your imagination and your affections and your desires and how you see your life before him. The second pair of invitations deals with a heart that's set toward obedience to God's word. Throughout the scripture, to make our ears attentive or to incline our hearts speaks of disposing our hearts to fully respond to God's word in humble obedience. So anytime you see through the scriptures the command to hear or to incline your heart or to make your ears attentive, that's not just talking about the act of letting the words go into your ears and like they go in one, one ear and out another. The biblical concept of hearing has to do with a disposition of the heart that says, whatever you say, I will come up under that. I will submit to that. I will conform my life to that. I will reorder who I am around what you say. So if you speak something, it, I submit myself to it as good and right, and I order my life around that in obedience. So the first aspect of possessing a humble spirit of obedience means that we have a teachable spirit as we come to God's word. We assume God's word is designed to confront us and our perceived preconceived notions, right? When we come to the word of God, we come as those who are being shaped. We're the ones under the microscope, right? We have in our cultural moment and in our age so often turned uh, and tried to put God on trial, Right? We want him to prove why he is certain things, but the word of God invites us to come up under him and put ourselves on trial. We're the ones that get put on trial when we come before God. Right? We are the ones that are conformed and changed and moved, not vice versa. We come to the word with a posture of receiving, believing that God's word speaks to us and changes us. Look at letter D. There's a particular temptation in our current moment to deconstruct God's word and put it on trial. I, I want us to feel this, and I don't know if, how familiar you are with this or how much you sense this, but one of the things that I see more and more and more in our particular time we live in is this quick uh, reaction to God's word to where people assume God would never say that, right? A good God would never say something like that. He would never call something sinful or put something outside of his ways. One of the primary ways that the devil seeks to tempt God's people from the beginning is to plant that lie in our hearts, right? Whenever you hear somebody say, surely God wouldn't say, does that sound familiar to you, right? Maybe in that moment, just stop for a second and ask the question of yourself, how do I bring myself into line with what God's word actually says? 
not assume like God would never say that, right? Like look at Genesis 3 here. The serpent comes to the woman. This is the first word of temptation in the Bible. Did God actually say this to you? Did God actually say? Did he really speak that? Right? And then she goes back and says, well, he said this, but not this. And he said this and this and this. And the serpent says to the woman, surely that's not going to happen. Right? The first thing, the first voice of accusation is laid out at God's word and the results of God's word. And then the goodness of God in speaking his word. Hey, do you know why God said the thing he said? It's because he's no good and he doesn't want good things for you. He's keeping things from you. So the first place he comes is to accuse God's word and say, surely God would never say that. No, he did say that. Well, he surely didn't mean this. Maybe he did. Well, you know why he means that? Because he's not good. This is how it works. And this is happening in our moment, full scale. And we, as the people of God, need to be readied in his word, to be able to stand on his word, stand on his word. And when we come to it, we come with hearts that say, you get to speak, I come up under your word. I come up under your word. The second aspect of possessing a humble spirit of obedience is a commitment then to pursue this, uh, a response of obedience as he speaks. Look at letter G. Obedience here is not about perfection. It's about faithfully and intentionally seeking to walk in the spirit of freedom that comes from a heart that seeks to obey God. Even though this will be weak throughout our lives, It's sincere and genuine before the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, uh, I don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And if we were reading that, a lot of us might stop and go, oh boy, oh no. This is not a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid here. The Lord's going to take the things that are done in secret and the hidden things, and he's going to bring them to the light. What does Paul say? Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. What Paul's saying there is, there are movements of your heart to respond to God in obedience that no one else will ever see, and God will remember them. God will remember them. We have a really good deal if we're in Christ Jesus, right? There is a day when we all stand before Jesus, we will all stand and give an account for our lives. And what the scriptures invites us to see is for those who are in Christ, the places that we have reached to bring into conformity with his word and his grace He looks at us if we've repented of them and we turn aside from them and go, even in our weakness, we go, God, I want your ways here. He looks and the scripture tells us that he forgets them forever. God forgets them. 
He casts him as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, the psalmist tells us. And then there's all these places where your heart will reach for him and no one will ever see it. No one will ever give you any kind of accolade for it. No one will ever remember it. You might not even remember it. And the scripture tells us those things will be brought to light. Hey, moms, you can change a diaper for the glory of God. And God will look at that. If, if in the place of that hidden, secret reach of your heart, you go, God, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to give my life away in your grace, out of a spirit of love. Jesus says every cup of cold water, right? How many, who gives more cups of cold water in the world than a mother? God sees every one of them, every one of them, and he will bring them to light one day. Whether anybody else does, whether anybody else ever gives accolades or blows it up on a trumpet blast from somewhere, God Almighty, the eternal King of glory, sees everything done in hidden places and in secret places and will bring them to light. This is why we desire to seek out a spirit of obedience, right? This is, we want to walk in his ways and pursue those things. I have there on on page four what that looks like. Look at Roman numeral five. So we pursue the word of God. We pursue obedience to the word of God. The third thing that we are invited to is a persistent petition. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is the invitation that we are welcomed into where the the author of Proverbs says, ask and ask and ask and ask and don't give up. Don't stop asking. Cry out. Lift up your voice. Come before God and say, I have no hope unless you come and move. I can't make this in myself. I can't do it on my own. I cannot know you. I cannot love you. I cannot walk in wisdom. Lest you pour out your grace upon me and give me the strength to do this, would you do it? You ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. Unless he shows up, we have no hope here. And so we just keep asking him, God, would you let me know you more? Would you let me fear you more? Would you take my life and my weakness? Would you fill me with your strength in the places where I long to be obedient to you and I keep struggling and I keep stumbling and I stand up and I repent and I seek to turn from that? Would you give me grace to pursue you? Would you give me grace to walk in holiness, in righteousness, in purity? Would you give me grace there? God, would you fascinate me with your beauty? Would you take the things that are true about you and make those true to me more than the things that I long for in this world and the lesser desires that I have? Would you come and do that? Because I cannot do that in my own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. No amount of thinking on this or willpower or pulling myself up by my bootstraps can do this. God, you have to do it. So would you do it? And we just keep asking 
and keep asking and keep asking. What we see in the scripture is Jesus tells lots of stories about how much he loves his people to come and persistently ask. Show up on the door and knock again, knock again, knock again. That's what Jesus tells us there. Look at condition number four, this last invitation on the top of page five. The final pair of exhortations is an invitation to seek after this and search for it. More than we would search for treasures, more than we would search for gold, more than we would search for silver. The reality of Jesus, his person, his character, his leadership, his kingdom is indescribably beautiful and valuable. However, many don't orient our lives around seeking or seeing or valuing him this way. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a group of parables that picture different aspects of the kingdom and how it relates to this world and then the nature of the human heart in response to it. Two of the parables portray for us a life devoted to the majesty and the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom and is willing to give away everything in order to pursue it. Look at Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he then covered it up. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Jesus says, when the kingdom of heaven breaks into this world, there are those who see the treasure in the field and go and sell everything to lay hold of that treasure. He says his worth, his value, his majesty, his glory is worth selling other things, saying no to other things, to run after that. This was Paul's vision for his life. We see that in Philippians chapter three. To seek after growing in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God will mean that we say no to other pursuits in our lives. This will be costly and at times does look foolish to the rest of the world. Now there's a slight difference between the second invitation and the last invitation here. Right? The second invitation to, to pursue obedience is this reality where if God is or if the Spirit is putting his finger on something in our hearts, the call to obey is very black and white. Right? The call to obedience is very black and white. If the Lord is saying, I want this part, it is clear that we run headlong into obedience. This invitation is more in relation to giving up good things, things that might not be sinful, things that might not be um, outside of God's design and his desire, but they have a temptation or a propensity to crowd out the pursuits in our lives, right? Like this is where the rubber meets the road in a lot of ways, right? To pursue these things, again, if these aren't just ideals or they're not just mindsets or they're not just things that we like get in a room and talk about, but they're actual pursuits, right? If they really require time and energy 
and seeking to pursue them, they can get crowded out by other things. They can get crowded out by other things. And one of the realities that I long for in, this, in these couple weeks as we're preparing to walk into the Sermon on the Mount together is to begin to stir our imaginations for what would it mean for us as the people of God to begin to ask him, what would searching after you like silver look like? What would searching for you like gold, like a hidden treasure, be like in my life? And all these things really do take actual, intentional, consistent, persistent time. They take focus. They take intention that works itself out in real real, um, choices and behaviors and things like that. And again, if you're anything like me, they often get choked out by things. There's a parable that Jesus tells about that too. He tells a story about the seed of the word going into different soils. And one of the soils, the seed takes and grows up, but there's thorns in the soil as well. And the thorns choke out and crowd out the life of the seed in such a way that it doesn't bear fruit. And I want us to just ask questions of ourselves before the Lord. God, what are the things in my life that are choking out the word, choking out pursuing your face, choking out running after your ways, hearing your word, treasuring it, seeking to obey, seeking to ask you to move in power again and again and again. Let me give you just a couple ways that you could like look into that. If you want an audit of some of the places where this tends to happen, maybe take an audit of your evenings. Just start to take an audit of your evenings. One of the, one of the hardest things I find for us is when we're coming home at the end of a long day, right? How we want to engage in those places. Just take an audit of that. And it's not saying that there's not a place to like kick back and unwind and do all that kind of stuff. But maybe, just maybe, we do that way more than we think we do. Or that becomes way more of the norm for our life than we would imagine it is. We've also been doing this thing in our family uh, that's pretty, pretty terrifying. You want to know the, another way? Take out your phone at the end of every day and look at that pesky screen time. You want to know where you go like, oh God, what could I give up to lay hold of the things of God? Maybe, I, maybe you feel like you don't have any time. Maybe you don't feel like you have any like, margin to give. Look at that tonight before you go to bed. Maybe, maybe you'll think a little differently. Maybe you'll go like I do. Oh my goodness. What would it look like 
if we said, God, would you give us the grace as a people to search for you like hidden treasures, that the thing that I would desire more than anything in this world isn't status, isn't like the ability to travel, isn't like the ability to unwind at the end of the night, isn't any of those things. The thing I desire more than anything in this world is to know you, to know you, to see your face, to hear your voice, to be filled with the knowledge of who you are and the fear of God. I want to ask God to do that in our midst. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? we all get settled in. Let's just present ourselves to the Lord for a moment. God, here we are. Just all across the room, just ask the Lord or set the intentions of our heart. God, we want to know you. God, this is what we want more than anything. There's something really beautiful about you saying that to the Lord, even in, in a small reach like a whisper. It's one thing for me to say it up here. It's another thing for you to say it. God, we want to know you. God, would you make us a people that is consumed with the knowledge of God? God, would you make that the thing that is first and foremost in this place? God, this family would be marked by a deep knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. God, I even ask in this moment that you would give to us the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that is clean. The fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. God, the understanding that you see, you care God, that you are holy. God, would you grant us that this morning? Grant us the fear of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you speak to us this morning? God, even as we respond, would you speak to us? The way we're going to respond this morning is we're going to 
sing together. We, each and every week, have people throughout the sanctuary that would love to pray with you and pray for you if there's places in your heart that you're, you're feeling led by the Lord or stirred by the Lord and you want somebody to stand with you and uh, pray over you. We are going to respond by coming to the table of the Lord together. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And in the same manner, he took a cup of wine and he passed it. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and drink of it. What we do is we come this morning and celebrate the reality of the death of Jesus and the power of the death of Jesus for forgiveness and salvation alone. And if you are in this room and you put your faith in him, you believe in him and him alone as the only way for you to be saved before God, for you to be right before God, for you to be whole before God, for you to know God. You're a Christian and we want to invite you to come and take communion with us. The way we take communion at Redeemer is we tear a piece of the bread off, we dip it into the cup, we have wine in the stoneware and juice in the glassware, we have servers in the front middle, up in the balcony, and a, a gluten-free station to my right over here. If you're in the room this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus, you don't put your faith in him, we want to say that we're really glad you're here this morning. We're really glad you're here this morning. We want to ask that you not come and take this meal. There's not pressure to come and take it. Don't feel like you have to uh, put something on. This meal is a meal that is for those who put their faith in Jesus. This meal points to the reality of where we place our hope. And we would invite you to stay in your seat and grapple with uh, the reality of who God is. We have uh, prayers in, on cards in the seat back in front of you. If you need uh, some language of what it might look like to pray this morning, but stay in your seat. Don't feel pressured to come and, and do this. But for those who are receiving, I invite you to come and partake of communion together. We're going to celebrate that way. We're going to celebrate through song. And we have people who would love to pray with and for you. Now come when you're ready.